You guys, it is within our reach. We can see the weekend, but we've got so much to get to, and hopefully you'll be here and be a part of the show on this Thursday afternoon. Heidi here with Josh. Connor over on the board, and let me just tell you what we have coming up here at 315. Uh, both Biden and Trump are uh, at the border today, both of them, I think, about to speak any minute. But we'll talk to ABC News' Jim Ryan and what exactly, you know, are they trying to accomplish there? What are they trying to do? We'll also check in with the medical director of the St. Luke's heart attack program as we uh, wrap up Heart Health Month here at KTRS and around. So many things to be leery of. And I just saw an article about, you know, how to kind of protect yourself. Female cardiologists especially sharing things that women should do to protect their heart health. And just simply knowing your heart disease risk factors is at the top of that list. We'll run through some of those. In the four o'clock, um, we're going to talk to a Washington Post writer and the author of a book about Alexei Navalny and what he's really all about. How is he perceived in Russia by Russians? And we'll kind of get a deeper dive into that. We'll also talk a little sports with KTR Sports Director Brendan Weesey. I mean, are we finished for our hockey season, or is there still just a, a glimmer of hope? We'll talk about that. And then at 5 o'clock, we've got the top five at 5. We've got some entertainment news, and then we'll wrap this all up with some randoms. Unfortunately, Big D uh, had a bit of an emergency. He's not going to join us, but he'll be back with us hopefully next week because I've got a couple questions for him as my car – starts to tick up on the odometer like when is a good time to trade when you get to a certain point is it too late is there a sweet spot we'll get to that at some point with him did you see that panera bread is overhauling the menu st louis bread company yes indeed but to others they're i guess going to hopefully boost their sales with a bigger, more high-end menu. Uh, that isn't exactly working, and so now they're going to go back to basics and I guess see what they can do beginning April 4th. They'll see nine new menu items and recipe enhancements to their existing salads and sandwiches. So I guess we'll wait and see because I know you guys both – have uh, St. Louis Brick Company quite often. I basically live there, and uh, I'm part of the SIP Club. Yes, yes, you are. But I you actually got... haven't been going as much. Are you? No? Is the no. SIP Club paying off for you? So it was when it was nice outside. Oh, but here's here's the deal with the SIP Club. I think it's like twelve bucks a month, unlimited drinks, and by drinks, it's regular coffee, okay, soda. Tea. But not cappuccino. None of the fancy stuff. Not the cappuccino. Stuff. Not the latte. Just the stuff you can pour yourself. Just the stuff you can. <laughs> that's exactly right. And uh, here's the deal: if you live close to a bread company, or you work close to a bread company, or it's on your way, mm-hmm. then it's probably good. But if you have to go out of your way, you're not going to use it. And the idea, I guess, is you go over there to get your drink, and while you're there, you buy a sandwich or a salad. So. 
For me, I just go over there and get a drink, and I think for the for the year, I'm up. Okay. But it's cold out, so I don't walk over there as much as I used to. So I'm you know, right around two, I'd be like, I need to stretch my legs, mm-hmm. and I go outside and go for a nice walk. Is that where you go every day around two? Get my get my free drink. Hmm. Uh, well, the drink that I free paid that you pay for twelve dollars yeah. a month for. <laughs> okay, okay. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. The cups used to be out, and you would go to the little sign-in sheet and be like, "Bing, I'm a member. Log it," and you take your cup and go fill. No interaction with anybody. But since the cups were just out. So many people were just walking in and taking free drinks. Uh-huh. Now they're behind the counter. And, and you, you have to stand in line yeah, you gotta and like, ask for them. You got to order it like you're ordering a salad or something. Yeah. So I like to say that the thieves ruined it for the rest of us. Once again. Once again. But remember Bread Company did, uh, they were going to do all natural meat you know, like a not like a turkey farm, but they they would get like free range turkeys. I don't know that I the turkey changed. This. They they were going with clean food. Mm-hmm. The turkey that they used stopped tasting like uh, kind of your standard turkey from a, a sandwich restaurant, and started tasting more like Thanksgiving turkey because it was fresher, cleaner turkey. I actually didn't like it as much, mm. you know? So which one give do they the, have now? Give me the fake turkey. Give me the processed well, turkey. Okay, yeah. Right. It's real turkey, but it's turkey loaf, mm-hmm. which I don't know. I used to work at a sandwich place, and yeah. no turkey had a turkey breast. Looking quite like that. It's as big as, you know, two footballs. So I think they might have gone back to the old turkey hmm. during the pandemic. I no, think so we're going back. We got a message, here. I think, and I'm paraphrasing, that due to supply chain issues, the turkey that we were using uh, is is not the same turkey. When you say you get a message, you're like on a email chain with bread company. I you think get when a you're text putting the message. order in and you pick a, a bacon turkey Bravo. Yeah, a message came up and said, you know, due to supply chain issues, huh. we are using the other turkey again. And I don't know if they ever went back. Okay. So, but again, I liked the processed turkey. Yeah. So, go figure. Well, somebody's saying it'd be nice if they lowered their prices a bit. They've gotten well, a little bit out of control. Everybody and can. Lower I was going to say, as so many places have. I can tell you, last night we watched Rustin. Uh, it's streaming on Netflix. It is about the man, and this is. So pathetic that he is not a household name. The man who basically put together the big march on Washington where Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King, made his speech. And he's kind of in the the shadows, but it's a story about him. The actor who plays him is nominated for an Oscar. But it just is a great reminder of how many people – who had a huge hand in history that aren't written about. They weren't in our history books, and they are such prominent figures. So if you're looking for something to watch, I highly recommend Rustin. It was uh, a really good movie, and I felt 
a little smarter and a little bit sad for him at the end, just that we don't know who this massive figure was who took, I mean, he basically put together this March on Washington within days and he was the ringleader. Anyway, we can talk more about that. Right now, we have Jim Ryan on the line, ABC News correspondent, who's in Brownsville, Texas. Both President Biden and former President Trump are at the border. And, Jim, what are they trying to accomplish here? I mean, is it just kind of a PR move? Are they really there to see what's happening? What's your feeling? Well, it's about optics, right? Mm-hmm. The, the word we hear so much about during an election year. It's about the optics. And so, and, and both of them are well aware that, for example, Gallup polling most recently has shown that 28% of Americans feel that immigration is the number one issue going into the election. Uh, it's, it's above the economy. It's above violence and crime. And it's moved into that top spot within just the last month. So 28%. So Donald Trump's well aware of that. Joe Biden is well aware of that. So what's the the solution? Well, they both come down here to the U.S.-Mexico border and make an appearance at least. Uh, it's a peer concern. I just, you have to hope that they are concerned at some level. Uh, talk with some of the officials down here, then take, uh, take their message back to their supporters. And what is each's message? Uh, are they similar? Are they completely uh, at the other ends of the spectrum? Well, I, I think you can, and just a minute ago before I came on with you, uh, Donald Trump was speaking live at uh, Eagle Pass and said that this is a war. He called it a war that the United States is in uh, regarding immigration. Uh, Eagle Pass is a much different situation from Brownsville. Brownsville, yes, has a, a, an illegal immigration problem, but the number of people coming across illegally has declined dramatically in the last few months. So President Biden wants to highlight that part of it, show that things maybe aren't as bad as they seem from the outside. Uh, Donald Trump is up at Eagle Pass and wants to show that the opposite is true, that things are worse than we've been told here for the last year or so. So, um, you know, they they chose their backdrops very carefully, honey. And, Jim, you live in Texas, uh, Houston, if I'm not mistaken, and your state is being... Oh, Dallas. Oh, pardon me. Uh, that's probably a huge insult for somebody who lives in Texas. Um, your, well, it is to me, but... Hey. Your, your state is being used as a political football. How do the people of Texas actually feel about the immigration issues? Well, actually, you know, in talking to some of the folks here in Brownsville today, I think they were pleased to see that the president is coming down here, that it might cast a spotlight on this area and the, the issues that it's having. So in a, in a way, I think some folks are, are quite pleased that uh, that attention is being paid here, both by Donald Trump and by Joe Biden. So, you know, but I'm, but you're right. I think that there is this feeling that, you know, these folks are going to leave here. What's going to change now? Is, is there going to be some sudden solution to the immigration crisis? Probably not. Yeah. All right. Jim Ryan, ABC News correspondent there in Brownsville, Texas. We appreciate your report. All right. Thanks so much. Leave it to Reddit to have people talking about what I can and cannot wear to church. And I got to say, looking at this list, I think I've seen just about 
every single one of them. I feel like the rules have loosened up a bit, at least at my Catholic church in Soulard. But tell me what you think is appropriate or inappropriate on Woods Basement Systems. Text line 84126. Crocs. I'm pretty sure I've seen. To church? At church. Uggs. Definitely seen Ugg boots. You know, is it weird to say that Uggs I think is fine, but Crocs is... I mean, even open-toed shoes I'd be okay with. Crocs just seems inappropriate. You think? That's better, worse than a flip-flop? Yeah. Okay. I I think so. A flip-flop does, you know, now that you ask me, it does sound pretty inappropriate. But Crocs, does it make sense that Crocs just look so stupid? Well, there's a lot of <laughs> shoes that look silly if like, you're going to... Break it down. You've seen like the tie dye Crocs. Oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they just look, no offense to Crocs, Finn wears them every day. Uh, I was actually thinking about finally caving and getting and a buying pair. Buying a pair. Just oh, I to have see a what pair like. too. Are they comfortable? Are they really as comfortable as everybody says? Yeah. I mean, they're not too shabby. Somebody says Jesus doesn't care what you wear. But they just look so goofy that it seems. Too irreverent to wear. Now, see, I think they only look goof- goofy paired with other goofy nuts. I think you can wear a pair of Crocs with the right pair of... With a pair of dress plant- pants? Well, I wouldn't say dress <laughs> pants, but I would say there are certain things that you can pull off. And are we talking black Crocs? Are we talking neon green? I'm talking With all the, the little buttons and pens in them? Yeah. Well, and are we talking kids? Could I bring Finn to church I'm talking Crocs? in general. Somebody said Crocs are never acceptable. I have a neighbor that no is mowing his lawn go. at 4 p.m. and goes to 5 p.m. mass wearing the same sweaty clothes. Jesus wore sandals, so why can't I wear flip-flops? Good All point. Right. I'll give you flip-flops, but Jesus never wore Crocs that we know of. Uh, yeah. It, it, no words, sweatpants, uh at mass. No words across the the mm-hmm. sweatpants Bottom. bottoms. Yeah. Like, remember Juicy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is asking about a football jersey, and I got to say, Super Bowl Sunday, there were at least probably three people in Chiefs gear. And oh, in the, Chiefs the, gear. Well, in jerseys. The priest yeah. even kind of called it out, but it was in fun. Right. Saying maybe we should put a special prayer out for Chiefs since it looks like you guys are leaning towards one team. Well, I mean, you know, if the Rams were in the Super Bowl, if the Rams were still here, and if they were still here, and it was Super Bowl Sunday, I could see people wearing the jerseys to yeah. church. But, I mean, now we're Chiefs fans, so what's the difference? Why? No, I, get, I mean, I get okay. it. I get you're it. You're okay with just it. Just on Super Bowl Sunday or just like a, what a, a random Sunday? Well, random if you're watching football and, you know. <laughs> What about hats? Can you wear hats? Easter I think Sunday. that's a uh, type of hat kind of answer as far as that goes. Because Ball there cap. are several um, women that wear hats at our parish. That's fine. I, I'm, and I don't think anybody's talking about that. Fancy talking, hats. Talking ball caps. Yeah. Ski caps. Ski cap. Well, I will say everything has been acceptable at our church because the heat has been out. 
Oh. And so on the cold days, they invite you to do whatever you need to do. No nice. judgment. So, yeah. Somebody just says yay to anybody who makes it to church. Again, ah. <laughs> Crocs are gross. Um, come in whatever you're wearing, just come. Just come. Yeah, which I I do kind of think should be the the motto on that. Uh, let me see what else is on this. Uh, leggings and yoga pants. I've seen both. I think skin probably should not be shown. Like if it's a, a crop top sort okay. of. Let me ask you this. What's the difference between skin and skin tight? I mean, if you can see curvy definitions of your gluteus maximus, yeah. is that acceptable to wear to church? You know, you want to talk about temptation. Is that what you think Well, when you I, see it? What? Well, I mean, what's the difference in that and showing a calf if you're in a skirt? Well, a calf is not, it's not necessarily something that's... Sexualized. I mean, for you. Um, unless this is the 1920s. Well, for you, times. I feel like you're digging a hole here, Josh. There are a lot of calf people out there. I think that a lot of people <laughs> would be turned on as much by, by a, a calf. calf as a. <laughs> I mean, not everybody is a booty person. Well, okay. All right. But you know what I'm saying. I don't. You don't. No. You think that's a, a, a form fitting bodysuit is appropriate to wear? I'm not. I to, think it's to the work same. or to church. I think a lot of people do as far as that goes. I've worn tights to church with boots and a long sweater over it. To, no, long sweater does, over it. Well, I mean, how far does it go? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I'm, that's the, I guess, the a debate that you, if that's the thing that turns you on. So I, we could go the other way if somebody has a uh, a lower cut blouse, but it's loose fitting. Does that matter? I mean, some of the things that you see at the Oscars, with you know the sternum apparently is is the big body part to show off these days, with the very low cut. Do you think that's appropriate to wear to church or work? Showing off. I mean. I think for so long, here's what I think. Yeah. For so long, women had to cover everything because we weren't supposed to tempt a man. Well, I'm sorry. Look away. Okay. Well, I, I don't. Which is what I feel like you're saying. I don't necessarily tights. think that that is the case, but our clothes, our dress clothes, are like a suit and tie. Well, right, I think with a jacket. That's, that's way gone from church. But, like, what – these days when you go to – I'll just say looking at the Oscars, men are dressed fully because that's what is kind of the the traditional tuxedo outfit. But the women have these dresses with the, the slit up the side or the very low-cut whatever, and I think it's great. I think it's all great. But just by the fact of what it is, I don't think it's necessarily acceptable to wear to a funeral. Are jeans appropriate to a funeral? I think it's fine. I mean, 
You, we're talking about two different things. I'm talking skin. Unless they're too tight, Heidi. Right. <laughs> I mean, because it could be skinny jeans as well. I I think this is your own issue. This is my own issue? Okay. I mean, and I think that lots of people will agree. Somebody says, please feel free to tempt me. <laughs> uh, Heidi, come on. Common sense, please. Dress appropriately for mass. Be respectful. Somebody else said, if it's the same, why don't you just go to church? Bear. The way God made us. I, you know what? Some days I wish that we all just walked around that way. And then there'd be, uh, we wouldn't have to be the, the haves and the have-nots of how expensive clothes are and everything else. Um, what kind of police department are you working for, Josh? Somebody else saying seriously with all the things that have happened in the Catholic Church in the last 20 years and how much attendance is down. Uh, parents not sending their kids to Catholic school, everything being downsized. As a 62-year-old Catholic, we should take what we can get. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting uh, question for sure. There is no question, at least when it comes to my mind, of the first thing that my eyes are drawn to when I'm looking at houses, and it's usually the front door. I mean, they can be simple, they can be elaborate, but I mean, that is where you are first walking through, so kind of your first impression. And Dalco Home Remodeling can really, you know, make you something that makes a statement. Dalco Home Remodeling custom makes their doors, and they do it right here in Missouri. Sliding doors, front doors, French doors, you name it, they can do it for you. They can even custom paint or stain to match whatever you have that's already uh, a part of your decor. They also, by the way, when you say, hey, do they do windows? Well, as a matter of fact, Dalco does do windows, energy-saving vinyl replacement windows. And what's really cool at Dalco, every single project at Dalco Home Remodeling is handled, you know, intentionally and with care. So if you're looking to make a subtle change or a big change, and you don't want to spend a fortune, Dalco Home Remodeling should be your first phone call because you probably remember their slogan. If you buy somewhere else and find out how much you could have saved at Dalco, you'll blow your stack. So make Dalco Home Remodeling your first phone call. 314-298-7300. You can also go online, DalcoHomeRemodeling.com. KTRS Red salutes Heart Health Month, presented by St. Luke's Hospital Heart and Vascular Institute, CJ's O'Fallon, United Healthcare, and KTRS Cares. Dr. Morton Reinder is medical director of St. Luke's Heart Attack Program. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you. How are you all doing today? We are fantastic. Let's start with what is acute myocardial infarction? Infarction. Infarction. Okay. What is that? That that means uh, that's basically what a a heart attack is. It's a fancy name for the cellular death or the cellular damage that occurs in the heart when people have blockage or an acute blockage of their heart artery or the artery that supplies their heart muscle, and the muscle itself will die. And so we call that an acute myocardial infarction or a heart attack. So they're, they're sort of interchangeable. Got you. And do we get that after we've been diagnosed with some sort of heart disease or this could be separate? So it could be the first sign of a person having heart disease. You know, heart disease is a, is a silent killer, as they call it. 
It builds up over time, and people may have absolutely no symptoms until one day they have abrupt onset of chest pain. And what's happening at the site of the heart is the artery that supplies the muscle and the muscle cells has a plaque in it that's growing slowly, and then suddenly the plaque either ruptures or forms some sort of blood clot, and that blood clot stops flow, and the muscle downstream of that artery starts to become dysfunctional and damaged, and then there's, there's death of the cells. And so people sometimes will have symptoms. They'll have symptoms beforehand, like some stuttering chest pain or shortness of breath, and that's a warning sign. And that's why it's so important if you have any of these signs and symptoms to get to a doctor or a hospital immediately and tell them, look, I'm having these symptoms. I don't know what this is. Let's make sure it's not my heart. But unfortunately, there are some people, their first symptom is an abrupt onset of chest pain, and it's actually a, a heart attack. So, doctor, what are some of those symptoms we should look for? Yeah, I mean, it can be variable. A lot of people have a lot of different symptoms. And unfortunately, the heart is not what we call a somatic uh, problem. It's like, you know, if you have a, if someone cuts you on your finger, you know exactly where that is. You know, the pain is right in the finger. The heart is an internal organ. And so many people will have chest pain. Some people will have arm pain or shoulder pain. Sometimes they'll have jaw pain. They may have all of it, too. And so people will classically say they have like a, a pressure on their chest or a, or, a, or, a, or a burning in their chest that radiates into their arm and into their jaw. Many times it's associated with shortness of breath. Sometimes it's associated with breaking out in a sweat. So those are sort of the classic symptoms. But there's variability. Some people have pain right below the breastbone, what we call the epigastric area. And it can be very difficult to distinguish between like a, a GI pain, like reflux of acid, and your heart. So what I usually tell people is if any of these symptoms, chest discomfort, shortness of breath, pain at the, at the breastbone, right, right, right below the, the chest, any of those symptoms are occurring, get to see a doctor and get, a do- get an EKG, especially if these symptoms are occurring during like walking or exerting yourself. And are the symptoms the same for men and women? Um, they can be incredibly variable. A lot of people say, well, women don't have typical pain, and that's exactly correct. Women may have just shortness of breath, or women may have right arm pain instead of left arm pain. But the truth is, is that it's true for men and women. So if you're looking for classic, the classic is the anterior chest pain. feels like, quote, an elephant is sitting on my chest. People mm-hmm. will take their fist and put it right in the center of their chest and say, I got this pain right here. But people can get incredibly variable pains. And women, you know, particularly women, will have a typical pain. It's more shoulder. It's more, it's more back or, or the, 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 the scapula, or the, you know, the, 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 the center of their back. And shortness of breath is a big one also. So if you have those symptoms, another good reason to get to see a doctor or go to the emergency room if they're abrupt. When we talk about heart attacks or trying to avoid them, we always mention uh, stopping smoking. And with people, uh, smokers in the United States being at 10% or lower these days, um, you know, we can avoid that. What about eating right and exercising? Which is the most effective at preventing uh, heart disease or a heart attack? 
Well, that's a great question. I, I, I don't know exactly if there's been studies to show that one versus the other, the eating or the exercise. Obviously, you know, eating too much and creating obesity or sugar diabetes um, is, is certainly a, a, an incredibly important risk factor for heart disease. Diabetics have a much higher risk of, of heart disease. So anybody who has diabetes or that, that infamous pre-diabetes you need to be very aware. You need to almost screen for heart disease out of, right out of the gate. But in my mind, exercise is also equally important. You know, the, unfortunately, we're an incredibly sedentary group of people now. We're on our phones too much. We're on our computers too much. We're surfing the web. And so we need to stay more active because that, 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 uh, um, that exercise helps to train our muscles, helps to get our hearts working a lot less hard. So I think that it's extremely important for both. But in my mind, you know, the, the overeating and the, the, the higher calorie counts and things like that, it predisposes to diabetes, and the diabetes is such an important thing to avoid uh, to avoid heart disease uh, these days. But isn't it great that, you know, so much education has gotten mm-hmm. out there about smoking and people are reducing smoking so much? And I think that's an equally super important thing because there's a huge delay. You know, you stop smoking tomorrow – that doesn't mean you're a non-smoker. It means you're a, you're a smoker that just quit. And so it takes time for that, your body to sort of re-equilibrate after the smoking stops. The heart is a muscle, but is there a shelf life? Like, do we have a, a maximum amount of beats, a maximum amount of time in, in you know, uh, the age that we are? Or if we can maintain our health do we never have to worry about our heart just going out? I think that's true. I think that the 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 number of beats is not really the important thing. It's heart and it's it's overall health of the the, the patient. And no, if if you're a, a hundred years old and you've been taking care of yourself and your heart is strong and you don't have, you know, coronary artery disease or any other valve or any other problem because you've been you know, taking care of that heart, your heart's not going to give out just yet. I mean, you know, unfortunately, you know, there are some other things that'll that'll take you out at the, at those advanced ages. But no, your heart's not just going to stop one day and say, "Hey, look, I've had enough." <laughs> um, it, it'll keep on going for for the most part. There are times when people's hearts slow down, and we got to put pacemakers in them because the the conduction system kind of wears down over time, like the rest of our bodies as we get older, and the the, the population is definitely aging but no it's not going to just quit one day just because it's it's run out of beats we're talking to dr morton reinder medical director of st luke's heart attack program what are some things that we can do to kind of manage this how can we obviously exercise what we eat what are some other things that we can do well prevention is everything and i encourage everybody who's listening out there to you know, get with the guidelines, as we call it, or know your numbers. Make sure your blood pressure is under control, that you're, you're exercising and eating right, keeping your weight at a, at a good weight, um, and also, you know, checking your cholesterol at regular intervals with your doctor, making sure that, you know, you're, you're, you're doing those things both medically and also individually, like, you know, such as exercise and eating right and getting plenty of rest, um, uh, that help to prevent heart disease. So prevention is everything, and, and we, we've shown that with prevention 
And with early detection, we've reduced mortality rates related to heart disease. We're detecting it earlier and earlier. And there are many pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic ways that you can do it. And so we have so much available to people with non-invasive testing, testing that can uh, you know, show your risk and help you with guiding you as to what you can do to, to help yourself over time. But this is a preventable problem. And I, I, the message out there is, you know, get, get early. You can get with your doctor, get with the, the, the know your numbers, get with the guidelines and start working on it because, you know, w- with some early prevention, we can live a long time and feel really great. One of our listeners is wondering, can you get rid of plaque once it develops? It's hard. You actually can. There's actually studies showing that you can melt it away somewhat. It takes a fairly intensive program. And, you know, we're talking about intense dietary changes and intense cholesterol lowering. Our biggest goal when we have people who have plaque is to at least stabilize it, not let it get any worse. And if it does, and and if you, you do use these medications or lifestyle changes, many times we can we can stabilize the plaque and prevent heart attacks. I had a caller just call in and say, what about energy drinks? What about drinking daily coffee or multiple coffees? Is caffeine yeah. bad? Caffeine in and of itself is bad. And, you know, it's sort of like, I'm sorry, caffeine in and of itself is not bad as long as it's in moderation. The problem is I find it with these energy drinks is that they have excessive amounts of caffeine plus these other chemicals in there like taurine that have significant effects on the heart rate. It can, it can predispose you to arrhythmias. Caffeine in moderate doses, it just came out in the guidelines for atrial fibrillation from the AHA and the ACC that as long as you're not doing these excessive caffeine or the caffeine drinks, that limiting caffeine is not really going to help change anything that much. So a little bit of caffeine is good. Moderate amount of caffeine is fine, but excessive amounts, you're, you're taking some chances with regard to arrhythmias especially. We're not going to have time to get to all of our questions. We're on a hot topic here, doctor, but somebody wants to know any thoughts on the small, inexpensive EKG devices. They're really helpful at deter- detecting atrial fibrillation, which is another sort of you know really common problem that people are having these days. I like the Cardia Mobile. I like the Apple Watch for the most part. There, there, there are times when they're wrong, uh, but a lot of times they're pretty accurate. They're pretty good at detecting these atrial fibrillation episodes. And if you have atrial fibrillation, to go off topic, sorry about this, but if you do have uh, your, your watch or your wearable technology telling you that you have atrial fibrillation, another good reason to go to the doctor because that predisposes you to a stroke and you need to get that checked out and, and treated before that happens. Somebody said, Dr. Reinder saved my life. I had zero symptoms and wound up needing a quadruple bypass. So I'm sure you hear that quite a bit, and we really appreciate your time and your knowledge this afternoon. Well, it's my pleasure, and to all the listeners out there, thank you. And uh, I, hope, I hope everyone takes this to heart, so to speak, and gets themselves taken care of. Well said.
Well, as you've probably heard by now, Mitch McConnell plans to step down from his leadership position in November. He's the longest serving Senate leader in American history. Liz Goodwin covers Congress for The Washington Post and joins us to discuss his legacy and what's next. I mean, this really is the end of an era. Yeah, it really is. I mean, Mitch McConnell is the longest serving Senate leader in U.S. history of either party. And his approach um, to Republican politics has really defined, um, yeah, an era of of, uh, politics in the U.S. Did he give a reason for leaving? It seems like, uh, I mean, obviously we have an older Congress right now that doesn't seem to get in anybody's way. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's interesting because Leader McConnell really almost never talks about his age or his health. He's very uncomfortable addressing kind of his own mortality would be a a reputation he has around here. And a lot of these older politicians are, they like to avoid the issue. And so it was very striking to hear in his speech yesterday, him say, you know, I turned 82 last week and the end of my contributions are closer than I'd prefer is how he put it, which sort Mm -hmm. of, you know, he's talking about death there. And that's something um, you just never hear him get into. He also mentioned that his, uh, wife's this younger sister had died uh, and that that had kind of turned him into thinking about the course of his life and how things can happen unexpectedly um, and got him thinking about this announcement as well. Uh, hit people close to him say that uh, he knew he wasn't going to run for leader again shortly after he even became leader before he even fell um, and had a concussion a year ago. He already knew, you know, he was he was kind of too old for the job and didn't wasn't going to run again. But he was just thinking about the best time to make that announcement. Obviously, he helped shape the Supreme Court. But how will he be remembered in history? I mean, that's that's a good question. I think he's been thinking about that a lot lately. Um, this fight he's been having with his own party on the issue of sending aid to Ukraine Um shows that one of the ways he wants to be remembered, at least, is as someone who tried to push against um, a more isolationist strain within his own party that's represented more by President Trump. He really believes that the kind of Ronald Reagan vision of shining city on the hill, which is something he said yesterday in his speech, is the way um, the U.S. should go, is the direction the U.S. should keep going in. Um, and he's, I think he's hopeful that his defense of NATO and um, trying to counter Russia is part of his legacy. I think another big piece of his legacy would be his just sort of unrelenting opposition to campaign finance reform. Um, he is really in that camp of people who thinks that individuals, corporations should be able to spend, you know, incredible sums of money to influence politics. Um, and he, he even went to bat against John McCain, a member of his own party who was trying to put limits on that, who really felt like that that all that money was a corrupting force in politics, and McConnell just squared off against him and fought for it and won. And isn't that weird how cyclical our politics can be? Today, if you ask a Democrat, they'll tell you, well, Mitch McConnell is, is a normal voice in the Republican Party. He he can help us try to get this border bill through. He can help us try to fund Ukraine and Israel. Whereas, you know, eight years ago, Mitch McConnell was the devil blocking Obama's Supreme Court nominee, which 
I think that was unprecedented. And, and this whole thing of Citizens United, that was all because of Mitch McConnell. He is the worst person. And now today he's the one most likely to help the Democrats. Yeah, it really shows you how much Trump has kind of just shaken up the entire political system, I would say. Um, the fact that a lot of Democrats do see McConnell as kind of the devil they know um, in some ways, and they're more scared of what a different kind of leader could be like who's more aligned with Trump, because even as you say, you know, McConnell reshaped the judiciary. Um, he's probably more directly responsible than any other individual for Roe v. Wade being overturned, um, given how he helped shape the Supreme Court. Um, all of that, you know, had led Democrats to just really, really see him as this villain. Um, but then when he was kind of a, a not a lone voice, but, you know, not not every Republican was willing to kind of condemn Trump after January 6th, for example. That was something Mitch McConnell was willing to do. Um, he he sort of had like limits when it came to Trump and, and would defend um, institution of the Senate. And I think some Democrats are worried that his successor might not be the same on that. Well, speaking of, who is kind of first in line to replace him? Well, the the leadership race, it's, it's very odd because it's happening while there still is a leader, right? Mitch McConnell's not stepping down until after the election. Uh, so we've got months and months here for this kind of shadow race, and it is already begun. Senator John Cornyn of Texas said today that he uh, wants to be the next leader. And then, you know, Senator John Thune, which is McConnell's top deputy, said he's having conversations about it. And uh, Senator John Barrasso from Wyoming is also expected to get in. He's he sort of tried to corner the more um, MAGA wing of the party. But I think um, the race is still going to change a lot from here in November um, if Trump really Trump has obviously has a big influence. He's very close with Steve Daines, NRSC chair. And if he, you know, pushes for his own pick, I think that could change things in the Senate as well. We're talking to Liz Goodwin, who covers Congress for The Washington Post. And when you have someone like Mitch McConnell taking a step down from this leadership position, how does that affect the entire Republican Party? I think it's, um, you know, in some ways, I think the party had already changed around McConnell, and that's kind of part of why he had lost some of his power. He's always known to just be this kind of formidable leader who had a tight grip um, on on his power within his conference. And I think the past year you've seen um, kind of uh, some of that change, and you've some of his critics have been actually, like, openly disrespectful in the ways they've talked about him, which is just not something you would have seen, I think, a few years ago. Um, So in some ways, he, even though he used to be kind of the beating heart of Republicanism, he had become a bit of a relic uh, and the party had really moved on. And I think that's part of why he had to announce this early on, because um, it gives now it gives, you know, people to pick the next leader, but also take some of the pressure off the fact that the leader of the, the Senate Republicans has no relationship with Donald Trump, who's, you know, almost the nominee at this point uh, for for the presidential race, so he he was just in this really tenuous position where he he wasn't really where the party was at anymore, and I think doing this took some of the pressure off of that. Reelected in 2020, Senate serves for six years. He's stepping down from leadership, but will he serve out his term? So he did say he plans to serve out his term. 
Uh, some people close to him said he would even like to be in a leadership role on the appropriations committee. Um, I don't know how that would work out, given there's there's already a chair, a Republican chair of that, Susan Collins. But um, he has expressed interest that to, in that privately. And then also people have said that they believe he'll still keep up this argument on foreign policy um, for as long as he's in the chamber and that he might feel kind of unburdened to be sort of spicier in how he makes these arguments or more provocative in that way since he won't have to be operating as, you know, the face of the party. Interesting. Well, Liz, we certainly appreciate your insight and your time. Thank you. Thanks so much. For this Thursday afternoon, the last day of February, Joe's Cafe to reopen after St. Louis grants exception for beloved hangout. I've been dying to go to Joe's Cafe. Everybody I know that's been there loves it. Now, the city said that this beloved neighborhood hangout, Joe's Cafe, didn't have enough parking, wasn't zoned correctly, and had to close. But yesterday, a city board made an exception. Joe's Cafe is an intimate music venue. Uh, known for its creative decor, Thursday concert series, and bring-your-own-booze policy. And now officials say it can stay open. More than a dozen people spoke in support of it at the Board of Adjustment hearing, including musicians and patrons. So good for them. <clears throat> Have you ever walked past it? I don't know. You've never seen it? I mean, I know it's, uh, you know eclectic and got a lot of stuff, but I think I've only seen pictures. Kind of jumps out from the middle of nowhere. It's Mm -hmm. right in the middle of a neighborhood. So when they say there's not enough parking, uh, it's not zoned right, well, that's probably true. Yeah. I mean, because it's just in the middle of houses. But I love a living room concert. There was a, a couple that was doing that in Soulard for a while where they would open their doors, have a, a band or two, and you just stroll in with whatever you want to drink or a little snack. And the woman that owned the house even would make cookies and brownies. Well, she probably wasn't zoned correctly either. Probably not. But uh, there's a sculpture garden at Joe's. It's really cool. It's on my list. To see them try to take it away just because of zoning issues, I think that, that the right things have happened. Agreed. To make sure that they stay that way. Sales at Anheuser-Busch InBev decreased by about $1.5 billion in North America last year amid a tumultuous year for its premier product, Bud Light. Mm-hmm. Now, if you remember, there was backlash and boycotts yeah. and I'm guessing that's all over now. I don't know. I'm sure there are people that will never go back. It's not all over now. Um, but when they crunched the numbers, they were down in the U.S. market about one and a half billion. Revenue was up for AB and all other markets: the Middle America, South America, Europe, East, the Middle East, Africa, up. So it, it was just us, us, and it really might have been. Because of that boycott. But they said gradually from May to the most recent weeks in February, the market share continued to improve. So ticking up. Getting back to normal. Art and Bloom returns to the St. Louis Art Museum during the 18th edition of Art and Bloom. Local floral designers will create masterworks responding to particular pieces from the museum's collection. If you've never been, it is really, really cool. There's lots of other things that go on during the time, and the event runs from tomorrow through Sunday. So if you get a chance, check out Art and Bloom at the St. Louis Art Museum. 
And France on Tuesday issued a ban on using terms like steak and ham for plant-based protein products. This would prevent you from saying plant-based bacon ah. or plant-based steak. Or sausage or no. Or sausage or chorizo. Any of it. 21 meat names to describe protein-based products have been taken off of marketing for something that is just plant-based. Now, this only pertains to items inside France and produced in France. And it's a response to French farmers and uh, livestock farmers who say that their sales are being hurt by the fact that non-meat plant-based items are hitting the shelves. So they are going to do this. It's the only country in the EU that has instituted it. But I'm wondering, could that could that come here? Does it confuse you when you read on the package plant-based ham? No. I mean, the plant-based... What's the confusion, actually? I was going to say, I mean, right? it says It's plant-based. It. Yeah. I mean, what if it said plant-based ham? You know? well, then maybe. Then maybe. Yeah. yeah. Or if it says bacon on it, are you a, a just zipping through the grocery store so fast that you've ever picked up plant-based bacon rather than regular bacon? I, no, because I don't even think it's in the same place as the bacon. My wife brought home turkey bacon one time. On accident or on purpose? Accident. Oh, let's see. I purposely... It looks different, though. That's what I'm saying. I mean, At, this shouldn't be a thing, yeah. but apparently they're getting such grief from livestock farmers in France that they're making the change official. Kind of back to the almond milk. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. A, yeah. Oh, they're not, they're not oh, milk. milk. Mm-hmm. Big milk is Big milk trying to is crack mad. down on that. Do we not have bigger problems? I'll no. <laughs> no. One way you can get away from all of those is get an RV and just... Enjoy the great outdoors. Byerly RV has some beautiful rigs. I mean, right now you can uh, get into a, a travel trailer as low as like $15,900. We were at the RV show and saw what Byerly had brought down. And unfortunately, they could only bring a little piece. You could actually go out to Byerly in Eureka and step in as many as you want. And they have small little motorhomes. They have uh, used... As well, travel trailers and motorhomes. Remember when Martin the other day was given guff to McGraw because he said he was he was boat guy for a while. Oh yeah, McGraw would walk around with his keys mm-hmm. with the with the floaty on the key ring. And yep. be like, hey, I'm boat guy. I talked to McGraw today, and he goes, "I was never boat guy." McGraw, Martin was just jealous because I never invited him. And he was telling me about his boat experiences. And then Nancy was leaving. He goes, you know what, though? I think I might want to be RV guy. He has talked to me a few times about certain things. He said the teardrop trailer has got his eye now. He likes the teardrop. I mean, there's so many different options. And, you know, Warren uh, was in. He's the president of Byerly RV, and he was talking about this. kind of looks like a teardrop. It's not what it is. Uh, There's another name for it that I'm... Like it's something buggy. And then on top of it is like a tent. And they have a cool ladder that goes up. I mean, kids would go crazy for that because 
at the RV show especially, you can just see kids going in and out. Mom and Dad, come look at this and the bunk beds and everything. Well, you can experience all of that at Byerly. And then if you did pull the trigger and you're already a RVer, I got to tell you, Byerly's new service and storage facility is fan. Fantastic. It's climate controlled, so it's really a great place to kind of preserve your investment because it's going to help with the paint job. It's going to help with the roof. It's going to help with the tires, all of that. And then you don't even have to winterize it and dewinterize it, which also, if you don't do it yourself, costs a little extra money. I mean, it is really super cool. And also, Byerly RV's service department. You know, I'm one that I don't want to do my own kind of fixing something. I want the pros to look at it, and they always do such a fantastic job. I mean, right now, it's on the list to be de-winterized because we're getting out with this weather. It's going to be beautiful. Again, you can check out the inventory, new and used, at BuyerlyRV.com. Now is also the time if you want to rent one for spring or summer, and they have a uh, full fleet of travel trailers and motorhomes that you can rent. Again, you can learn more. BuyerlyRV.com. I was just Googling because I think my tiny hometown of New Madrid, Missouri, has a pretty good spot for the solar eclipse, which is coming April 8th, which is sneaking up on us. I don't know if you remember the last time, which was that 2017? Ooh. I think it was. I was in college. You are? So. We were at... uh, over at Frazier's, and we had the glasses, and they were doing specialty cocktails, and to go outside and look up with your glasses, it was so eerie, but kind of exciting. There's a list of some historic sites where you can go to get the best advantage, and the Hunter Dawson home, I think, is one of them in New Madrid. There's a thing that you can go to that is like solareclipse.org that'll you put in like a town and it'll tell you exactly what it's going to look like. So I don't know if it's going to be complete there or not. But Schlafly Beer has a new variety pack celebrating solar eclipse, which is kind of fun. Um, they say they know the spring solar eclipse will bring people together around the country to witness this phenomenal event. And they want to be a part of the conversation. So the Throwing Shade variety pack has three each of the Eclipse IPA, the Passion Fruit Galaxy Wheat, Shadow uh, Bands Pilsner and Totality Black Lager, and it's uh, available through spring. But I love the throwing shade. And then to stick with a food theme, did you see Ego has created a little pancake house where you can actually spend the night? Ego, of course, is known for its iconic waffles, Lego My Ego, and it's uh, celebrating the breakfast food i guess the ego house of pancakes overlooks the great smoky mountains in gatlinburg and it's available for rent exclusively on home to go just in time for spring break it's shaped like a stack of flapjacks it has a chimney shaped like a stick of butter and even a breakfast theme decor i'm not really into that Sort of thing, but I think that's fun, oh and I know gosh. a lot of people are. This kitchen is bright yeah. yellow. Yeah, this looks so. Mm-hmm. 
the coffee table is pancakes. That's like, would you stay in the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile, right? Then they have an RV version that they yeah. let you stay yeah. in. I don't know if there's beds in that thing. I think they, they made They ones. made beds. I think yeah. oh, they did? the typical one, the normal one does not. But Yeah, because it's just college kids. I would. I looked into being an Oscar Mayer mm-hmm. Wiener Mobile driver. They were hiring recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but they only want college kids. Or recent or grads. Or recent grads. And so... You have to be available. Off, off the table well, you know, for me. You can't take Finn with you. Uh, yeah, and you, unless you want to like just guys, take a few months off to go guys, travel the country uh-huh. in the I Oscar Mayer mobile. Into this years ago. Oh, I, I think you did last year when I was in my thirties. <laughs> okay, not now. I have I'm no responsibility. I'm tied down now, baby. Okay, we're happy to hear that. Uh, the total eclipse. From 2017, mm-hmm. 821, August 21st, 2017. Yeah. Boy, that what a what a sight. It was it was a little quicker. This one's supposed to be a little bit longer. And it like got so dark. We were down at Dillon's in Arnold, mm-hmm. uh, South County, Dillon's Bar and Grill. How'd uh, you end up there? They we were doing a live broadcast. Oh, you were working Dylan here at us, the time and doing yeah, it. Come on okay. down. And we were out in the parking lot, and the the totality happened, or as much as we were going to get in yeah. South County, and the lights turned on in the parking lot because it thought it was nighttime. That's how it's so. I know. It's like this it's is same weird. happened in Soulard. This is so weird. I think Delta's doing flights again. They're going to fly you right oh. over the. Didn't didn't we do this story where they tried to to do this one time? I think the yeah they tried this, but. The flight they're they're going to keep, keep offering them, I guess. So hopefully it wouldn't be delayed. And wasn't one uh, supposed to go back in time so you could have two that was the one, the New, New Year's, Year's Eves? Oh. Yep. It would yep. go from like Tokyo to Hawaii. And it but got it delayed. So they, delayed just, so so they got zero because <laughs> they, they ended up at zero. the hotel or they were in the airport. I, interesting concepts all around, but will you be taking part? That's my question to you guys. Woods Basement Systems text line 84126. Will you make a journey where you can see the solar eclipse on April 8th? Well, we'll have to get our sales staff to get us back down to Dillon's. Mm-hmm. Is that actually in the line? I think the, the further south you go. I think the line is fairly close to what it was. Can we broadcast from New Madrid? Is that? Yeah, yeah we could. Yeah, what was a three-hour drive. What were the names of those restaurants down there? Shirley's and yeah, we don't have any restaurants anymore. Oh, oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) My condolences to Shirley's. Alexei Navalny, the Russian opposition leader who died two weeks ago, left many questions unanswered. David Herzenhorn with The Washington Post wrote a book on him and joins us with a few stories. Thanks for your time. Good to be with you. When you hear his name, what immediately comes to mind for you? Uh, Putin's nemesis. <laughs> um, Navalny uh, was stubborn and relentless and brave and sometimes as uh even some friends and admirers said uh, his bravery was uh, both incredible and also absolutely senseless yeah did he simply love his country or was there more to this no there's no question that alexei navalny was uh, russian through and through and indeed um had flirtations with russian nationalism because he was very much uh, pro-russia and in fact this is 
put him at odds or raise suspicions, for example, among Ukrainians, even though Navalny himself is actually half Ukrainian on his father's side and spent summers as a boy in Ukraine, uh, not far from Chernobyl uh, with his grandparents until one summer came and there was a nuclear disaster and they called and said, you know, he can't come this year. Uh, so Navalny um, is very much pro-Russia, but obviously anti-Putin. He believed that Russia could actually be a free democratic country, um, something that Putin does not envision as a future for his nation. What do the uh, Russian people think of him? <laughs> well, uh, Navalny's had uh, struggled uh, for years on that front, in part because state media is the well, media in general is largely controlled or overwhelmingly controlled by the state. Much of it is actual state media, and Navalny wouldn't be mentioned. Uh, it's, it's long, uh, many years that he was banned from the airwaves, basically, except for when he was being described as a criminal, uh, portrayed as. Um, you know, corrupt or evil in one way or another because of these trumped-up uh, criminal prosecutions. We know that uh, there were oftentimes the European Court of Human Rights and, and other independent analysts would say these were totally bogus cases. But the Russian public got a very skewed view, and this is why Navalny took to YouTube, uh, was basically creating his own media, finding his own ways to reach um, Russians, uh, getting behind candidates all over the country, building a political political network um, that really did threaten uh, Putin and United Russia, the party that uh, that infrastructure that uh, Putin has run with uh, all these years. What was Navalny doing before all of this? I mean, you don't just wake up one day and become Putin's nemesis. Did he have a day job? Was he in politics? Yeah, he was a lawyer. He actually trained as a, as a lawyer and in finance. Um, and got his start actually in retail politics. Uh, Yabloka, the name translates as Apple, as a liberal progressive party is the way we think of it um, in the West. And uh, he was you know, active in Moscow in this political party that he hoped would be a challenge, uh, an opposing force to united Russia. In fact, it didn't go anywhere. He got very frustrated with them. That's partly why he began these flirtations with Russian nationalists, looking to see is there any way to bind together you know, all the anti-Putin opposition forces. It didn't work out. But Navalny got into uh, crusading against corruption. He was sort of perfectly positioned for this because of his training as a lawyer and in finance. He loved to read the fine print quarterly reports, you know, uh, company prospectuses and the like, and then could take on shareholder activism and show up at an uh, annual meeting and raise a hand and say, I have a question, which had rarely happened before. And what ended up happening is that in 2011, this is right when I actually arrived in Russia as a correspondent for the New York Times, he'd gone on a radio show and almost inadvertently he got a question about Putin's party, about United Russia. What do you think of, of United Russia? And without thinking about it, he said, you know, I have a very bad view of them. They're the party of crooks and thieves. And, and that phrase, crooks and thieves, became a meme even before we understood memes as memes. It just went viral captured the imagination of many Russians uh, frustrated by, you know, this rampant corruption in their country and uh, really, you know, one man, one party rule. And from there, the speculation began about Navalny as a potential presidential contender. It's funny that 
puts him, you know, way outside of his league in terms of where he was as a politician, but in a system where only one job really matters. If you're, you know, seen as being against the system, uh, then you're seen as challenging the, the one person who's in charge of it. And in fact, he did get to run for mayor of Moscow. That might be the second uh, most powerful job politically in uh, the Russian system. And there again, you know, it was kind of kabuki theater where he was being prosecuted uh, in Kirov. I covered this first trial. He was accused of in a crazy case of um, facilitating a theft of timber. Uh, he was actually an informal advisor to the governor at the time, and the case was entirely crazy. But he was found guilty, uh, convicted, uh, sentenced to uh, five years in prison. And then overnight, that was basically reversed and put on hold, and he was allowed to run for mayor of Moscow, essentially creating this appearance of a legitimate election, even though he didn't have any access to media, struggling. So Navalny was always, people who are very close to him would say he was a born political animal. This is what folks you know, don't quite uh, always understand, that he wasn't just crusading against Putin. Uh, um, uh, he was, in fact, an aspiring politician himself. This is what he wanted to be um, and paid for it with his life. And when we here in the States look over there, we say Putin's a dictator uh, and they control the media and they probably, you know, control uh, the oil and all that stuff. But what exactly is it that Alexei Navalny is accusing the crooks and the thieves of doing? Well, I mean, you can watch the, the library of videos that he and his team and his organization, the Anti-Corruption Foundation, have put together. I mean, the the former prime minister, uh, Dmitry Medvedev, uh, amassing a portfolio of real estate, you know, worth in excess of a billion dollars, essentially provided as a, as a bribe by oligarchs. Uh, there's any number of things, but uh, there really is no um, uh, putting this up. I mean, you know, people sort of try to wave it away, uh, especially you know, when you have some politicians in the United States who express this admiration for Putin. When I was covering Russia and living in in Moscow, uh, there came a point when Putin was uh, was running for president again, and he is right now running for president again, having you know disrespected term limits long ago. But as part of the campaign, he commandeered the front pages of the seven major newspapers. I mean, can you imagine if suddenly uh, Donald Trump or Joe Biden? was able to write a first-person op-ed that was published on, you know, on different topics, one each on the front pages of the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the LA Times, you know, pick your, pick your publication. I mean, the, the control of the media, normally they don't mess with print in that way. It's TV that they care about because that's, of course, what reaches the masses. But when we talk about the media being controlled, it is controlled to that point. And, and it's very deceptive now because, you know, folks will click the, 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 remote control and they can change channels but then it seems like they're turning on something different but in fact it's the same message brought to you by different folks all carrying you know the, the state um, uh, line and you know there it, it really does start to brainwash people i mean you start to see why you know a, a war can be started in ukraine uh, astonishing that there's now a full-scale land war in europe in the 21st century uh, largely built on lies uh, for those of us who have been on the ground in ukraine who covered that country you know listen to what putin claims about why uh, he felt the need to invade and it's just preposterous but you know, that's broadcast over and over and over and over again. Um, Navalny did, in the end, speak out uh, quite forcefully against the war. He was in prison at, at that point, 
uh, had made some ambiguous comments about uh, Crimea. It's a complicated topic there where he tried to have it both ways, sort of saying the uh, illegal um, annexation, the, the invasion and the annexation were contrary to international law, but Crimea was in fact Russia and shouldn't be passed, um, Russian shouldn't be passed back and forth. But in the end, it came out you know, in support of Ukraine's sovereign boundaries as they uh, were drawn in uh, 1991 after the collapse of the Soviet Union, calling for a full withdrawal, calling for uh, reparations to be paid to Ukraine from uh, Russia's oil and gas revenues. Now, of course, there again, you know, that was putting a wedge and would have put a wedge had he survived between him and the Russian public. I mean, you have thousands upon thousands of Russian men dying in this war, being told um, their families, their wives, sisters, mothers, children, being told that this is a war worth fighting for, worth sacrificing their lives for. And there you have um, Navalny, or now his wife, Yulia Navalny, who spoke about this in front of the European Parliament just this week, saying, in fact, you know, no, this isn't worth it. This is a, a criminal war of aggression. Uh, you know, what's the chance of uh, somebody with those views being able to garner support of the majority of Russians? Uh, seems unlikely, but um, that's the, the situation at the moment. And David, this might be a, a silly question, but when we look at, you know, the majority of Russians, they believe what they read with all the state media? Um, you know, the, the, the majority of Russians um, have long supported Putin. There's a reason for that. Uh, Putin's rise, you know, closely tracked a rise in oil prices. Uh, the country had gone through quite a bit of chaos in the 1990s. Uh, economic um, uh, difficulties, financial collapse, default, people's savings drying up, you know, and, and suddenly uh, here was a leader who sort of set the ship straight. Uh, also, you know, had, you know, grocery stores that had everything we have in the West and, and, and all sorts of war. For folks who remember when the country was starving, you know, there, there's a genuine well of support uh, for Putin for having, you know, kind of rescued the country from the difficulties of the 1990s. Now, if you'd stop there, you know, sometimes I say this in the West, too, term limits for politicians are, are good for your legacy. Uh, he would have been remembered, you know, as, as quite a successful leader. Um, but, you know, do the majority of, of Russians believe the propaganda? Not everyone believes it. Um, but at this point, any dissent, any Russian opposition to Putin is now either uh, in jail, exiled, or like Navalny, dead. Um, there just is no um, opposition politics in Russia anymore. Why do you think now was the time where Putin decided to finally go ahead and just kill Alexei Navalny? Is it an air of desperation, or do you think he feels emboldened? No, there, there are a few theories about this. Um, one is that uh, the Kremlin had wanted him dead all this time, and they just finished the job. In fact, when Putin was asked about Navalny's poisoning after Bellingcat and Navalny himself led an investigation that proved that it was state assassins that poisoned him in August 2020. Putin got asked about this, and he chuckles and kind of laughs it off in the press conference and said if they wanted him dead, you know, they would have finished it. And so one theory is they did just finish it now. Um, they finished the job, and they did it because they could uh, at a moment when um, it wasn't necessary at all. Putin is absolutely certain to win um, another term in elections that are coming up uh, in just a few weeks, uh, middle of March. Uh, another theory, and this has been put out by his uh, Navalny's team and by his wife, is that, in fact, 
and at the Washington Post, we confirmed some of this. There was a discussion underway for a potential prisoner swap. Uh, the Russians are eager to um, win back uh, the release uh, from Germany of a Russian agent accused of uh, murder in the Tiergarten, the park in Berlin, uh, and, and a guy named Krasikov. And the Germans had been very reluctant uh, to engage in any negotiations about this guy who committed murder on German soil, but apparently were willing to discuss trading him for Navalny. And the theory by Navalny's team is that uh, to take Navalny out of the equation, uh, Putin decided to have him killed uh, now, uh, believing that then he could potentially get the release of this uh, security agent that he wants for a lesser price. Um, you know, again, that's uh, that's one one theory of this. Uh, but really, the truth is that Navalny himself, and this doesn't uh, make it any less horrific, um, you know, Navalny himself had predicted that this was a possibility, that Putin um, would kill him, that they wanted him dead, and it was only a matter of time. I mean, for years, he would get asked this question, uh, including on American media, in an interview on, on 60 Minutes in 2017, people say, why are you still alive? I mean, just the fact that anybody would ask that question yeah. is, is kind of amazing, you know, that you think that, that it's just taken for granted that enemies of the of the government will end up dead. Um, but in fact, that was the presumption, that because of what he was doing, simply speaking out in favor of freedom and democracy, wanting fair elections, hoping to run in a fair election, wanting to leave the country that he loves, you know, as a, as a free and democratic place for his children, his life was um, in danger and he was considered to be living on borrowed time. I did just see a headline saying hearse drivers are refusing to take his body to the funeral, apparently, because of threats. So, I mean, I guess that says it all. <laughs> yeah, there, there have been um, it, it's been sort of this uh, almost surreal uh, battle. And, and this is uh, one of the chapters in in the book I wrote, which is called um, The Dissident uh, Profile of Political Prisoner, instead of a profile, sadly, it's, it's become an obituary. But Putin would make a point of not even saying Navalny's name. He would refer to him with these bizarre euphemisms when he was recovering in Germany. He was the, the Berlin Clinic patient or the, the character mm. you mentioned. Um, you know, he always have this, this way of not ever talking about him. Um, so strange uh, sort of things. And here, again, it seems, you know, they were denying the, the, the release of the body to Navalny's mother, uh, you know, if he had died of natural causes, as prison officials claimed, why wouldn't the body have been released within 48 hours, as is uh, the normal protocol? What were they hiding? Uh, Navalny's team very clear in saying that they believe this was murder and they were covering up uh, the evidence, and that's why it took you know more than a week. There was a fight to get the body released, then uh, you know pressure to hold a private funeral to limit the number of people who would gather. Now, as you say, you know pressure on on hearse drivers, uh, funeral homes, not to uh, not to carry his body uh, to a cemetery. I mean, it, it really is an effort to uh, to squash the guy even now after he's dead. Well, interesting stuff. David Herzenhorn, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Well, we've got some breaking news. It looks like Caitlin Clark will enter the WNBA draft this year. That's exciting because I think a lot of people were... 
waiting to see, does Iowa make it into the Final Four? And if they don't, if they don't get that championship, will she hang around because she has that COVID year? Right, yeah, she, so she's putting all of that doubt to rest. She is declared for the WNBA draft. And big win for the WNBA. I, I, I think it. there's a lot of chatter going on right now. Does she lose any money? Because obviously she can probably earn more through NIL endorsements mm-hmm. right this second. But I think her presence is only going to mean more money for everybody associated right. with the WNBA. I mean, it, it's a league that uh, will uh, their probably most watched game will be dwarfed by the women's uh NCAA tournament. I mean, those games will have huge viewership. The WNBA is still trying to gain that traction. Having Caitlin Clark would would go a long way for that traction and 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 uh, continued interest in that league because Caitlin Clark is uh, is a superstar. Yeah, and I think for the first time, Big Ten has sold out. The tickets for that are crazy. And let's not forget that uh, kind of second behind. Caitlin Clark is a local girl from Edwardsville. So, I mean, I think she's averaging. I got to think of her name, Kate. Uh, I'll look it up for a second. But I think she averages like 20 points a game. Well, that you talked about the, the Big Ten Women's Basketball Tournament Kate is Martin. a. Kate Martin. The, the, their Big Ten Tournament is a sellout. Yeah. Uh, and and it, it, it was the quickest the Big Ten Women's Tournament has ever been sold out. And then there's a game this weekend between Iowa and Ohio State. And the get-in price is the most expensive for any, any women's basketball game ever. It's something in the neighborhood. And that's like number two and number four, right? Or something like that. It's gonna, it's The get-in price is something like 500 bucks. Yeah. Just for the for standing room only, maybe uh, it's going to cost you 500 big ones to see that one. So really cool to see Caitlin Clark has meant a ton to this sport. And um, she's, like I said, she's the biggest star in college basketball, men or women. Yeah, I love it. All right, let's go to hockey. Are the Blues done? It's looking a little rough right now, and at least last night you get a point. So, and I felt like we've had a couple of different opportunities here to write them off. Uh, I think we're a little more than a week. I think it's a week from tomorrow or Saturday is the NHL trade deadline. And if you're Doug Armstrong, you're you're still weighing any potential options. It's not like you have as many key players that were at, at critical junctures where their contracts were expiring or about to expire. Uh, I, I don't think you have to break this team up, but I certainly don't think he's going to go out there and make moves to try and win now. But there's there's still time for the Blues to make up the ground. It is, uh, it, it's not unattainable, but they haven't been playing great hockey as of late. Now, here's the thing. If we do sell, who are the players that we can expect on the block? I think there's, I think there's a few. I mean, do you move... Um, do you move somebody like a, I mean, could Butchnevich bring you back a, a considerable package in return? Maybe. Um, I mean, I, I'd still be curious. I don't think they would do it. But I, I think Jordan Bennington could probably bring you back maybe the biggest package. But I his contract isn't ready to expire. And that would, that would be a truly bold stroke. But that man, that's where you're at here. Are, are you... Are you looking to completely blow it up and rebuild? Are you looking at more of a hybrid where you continue to contend right now while also getting younger? It's it's a really interesting spot that I think they're in right now. All right. City SC out of the Champions Cup. 
bounced a couple of yeah. nights ago. Well, that was quick. It mm-hmm. was a very brief stay, and they're not playing great. Their one win in the Champions Cup last week was uh, a fortuitous bounce, a great goal by by uh, Jose Kojima, uh, Kojima, the the rookie from from Wake Forest, but. Um, and they go out Saturday and need a, a tremendous goal from Sam Adeneron just to force the draw at home. Then, as you mentioned, the the loss a couple of nights ago. Super early. I, I kind of like the fact this team has to face a little adversity early in the year. Unlike because last they year. Did, it was Cinderella. They lived, they lived a charmed yeah. life most of last year. And I, and I, I don't I don't think that behooved them once they got to the MLS Cup playoffs. If they're a little more hardened now, uh, have to, you know, work a, a, a little bit differently and not necessarily harder. It's not like they're, they aren't showing the effort, but no, it's just not going to be uh, a, a, an easy cakewalk to get to uh, where they want to be. I, I think this is, I think this is going to be uh, really valuable for them. Do we have any good news coming from spring training? Well, I know they uh, Kyle Gibson gave up a couple of home runs today, so that's not particularly good news. But I think the Cardinals are, uh, I think for the most part, they're relatively healthy. Okay, uh, up and down for their for you know the you know Matt Carpenter's a little banged up, but I think for the most part they're uh, they're healthy. Mason Wynn is your shortstop, but you've brought in a, a veteran in Brandon Crawford that you hope can can uh, add some veteran experience and back him up at that spot. So I think they're, uh, I think they're, you know, a week into this thing, I think they're doing fine. All right. What's coming up tonight? Martin will uh, be live at six o'clock tonight. Former NHL referee, Tim Peel among his guests. Ben will be with me at seven. We'll do some winners and losers. We'll talk some golf with Skip Berkmeyer, high school basketball with Jim Powers in the eight o'clock hour tonight. So full show. Just really quickly, on the schedule for St. Louis City, we played them last year without Lionel Messi. Do we have Inter-Miami on the schedule this year? So are they uh, – I thought they might have been on the road with – now, there was a chance they could have played um, – there was a chance they could have played in the Champions Cup. Mm-hmm. There, I think it would have been in the uh, in the semifinals where they could have met up. Um don't think they have them on the regular the season regular schedule. season okay. schedule this well, year. Well, that's a shame. That would have been fun, especially they if definitely they don't have them at town. home. They definitely yeah. don't have them. I at think home. they I have them in there in Miami. In Miami, okay. June the first, they are in Miami, nice. but they don't play them here. Still, be fun to watch, no doubt. All right, Brendan, thank you. Thanks, guys. And now, and now the, the top, top five at five. 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 News five. from around the room. Well, here's one way to celebrate your birthday. An Illinois woman wound up with a big birthday present, a present of a lifetime, thanks to a lucky lottery ticket. She's not been publicly identified, but she recently visited a BP gas station in Palos Heights and picked out a $25 diamond crossword 10 times for herself. I've never done anything over a dollar, maybe $2 scratch off oh i i bought one for my brother for his birthday and it was a 40 dollar one really i bought 30 dollar ones and have won nothing yeah i think that's what i'm afraid of anyway the lucky lady said she selected the ticket because it was purple her favorite color when i scratched the ticket in my car i kept seeing winds that were getting bigger and bigger 
and bigger. And as I got to the end, I realized it was worth a million dollars and couldn't believe it. Stunned, she went back into the gas station to have somebody double-check the ticket, and happily, it wasn't a dream. It was true. She said she instantly started crying. Her legs felt like noodles. She didn't think she was going to be able to drive herself home. The woman told lottery officials that the winnings will make a big difference in her life as well as her family's lives. Both she and her husband work hard to provide for her family, and they want to give their children the opportunities the world has to offer. Never in a million years, she said, did she think that her life would change in an instant. And that's kind of some of the arguments that that you can make when the Powerball's up to like a billion dollars. I want to say people like Heidi are like, I don't want to win it, you know, which. When it's what? When it's like at a billion dollars. My wife. I'd like to win it. Oh, you would? Oh, yeah. Who is saying that they would not like to win it when it gets too high? I think my wife has said, I, I don't, says that yeah, I don't want to win that. That's too much money. Oh, that's ridiculous. Which is insane. And then you tell her that if you had one wish, you'd wish for money? Is mm-hmm. that when that... <laughs> well, I think one of the arguments being that when you win that much money, your whole life truly does change. You have to move. You can't be friends with people. I, 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 I disagree. True. Here we go again. I don't know. This, you have I, such a weird... You're going to have everyone coming out of the woodwork, hunting you down, asking you for money. And it's just going to happen. So, uh, I think I just gave, gave everyone like a flat hundred k. Yeah, again, I'm, I'm not moving. Me? Sure. Yeah. That way no one can, you know. Yeah, and just be like, here's a hundred k, you're done. That's it. You know what? I'm going to spend it. I'm going to come back for more. No, nope. Because you fed the bears. No. Um, winning a million dollars? You don't have enough for people to actually expect you to give them money. And it would solve a lot of your issues when it comes to financial things, uh, at least. So having a nice, tidy million show up out of nowhere. I don't think you have a healthy relationship with money. With money? Yeah. Is a million not enough to have people come ask you I for money? I was going to say, they're still going so. to oh, right. ask you for a small you loan. Paid off your, you paid off your house? You, yeah. you can you help a girl out? Can you help me out? I mean, you still probably have to keep your job, right? I would think so, yeah. yeah. Unless you've already saved for retirement. You can, and this keep, is you just can keep the, your job with a billion. Yeah, you don't have to quit. <laughs> you don't have to quit. <laughs> Again, I think if, if you want a billion dollars, no matter where you work, you'd probably have to give it up to a certain degree. You wouldn't have to. Why would to. you have to? Right. I, I you would, but you, you wouldn't would, have to. You would want to, number one. And number two, it's just. You know, how know. would you fill your days? You know? I don't know. I mean, you got people like Warren Buffett who continue to work. They've got billions of dollars. You've got. I mean, so I don't think that just because you have that much money, there are going to be people that are going to continue to work. I think that's what you would do. Let's ask the texters. 84126, if you want a billion dollars in the Powerball, would you still continue to And I think Missouri is a state where you can do it anonymously Uh or at least get someone, like get a law firm to To represent you you, so they never know your name. What's the thing online? Uh, How do I... How do you know I won a million dollars without me telling you I won a billion dollars? You know, like there'd be signs. Josh yeah, would there, come in with a lobster every be day signs. for lunch. Is that, okay. Somebody said, you know, they ask us for money now. I, yeah. What, I, your fa- their family members? Uh-huh. <laughs> right. I don't know that it that matters. Well, they'd be mad when you said no when you had a billion dollars. Well, surely you're not going to say no if it's somebody that's close to you. Well, 
flat hundred k, Josh. Think Certain cousins it. of mine, I would not be giving any money to. Um, would you ever buy a home with someone else who is not your spouse or your partner? Yeah, like as a business venture, like as roommates. Oh, oh, I thought you were talking like a. A summer house, like if it was a lake house and going in with friends, mm, yeah, I would. Okay, oh. that one that one makes more sense. I was thinking like an investment, and then well, we all collect the. And rent. I will it's say at one point, table. we have joked about as we all get older, you have one big house, and you kind of have your separate living spaces because nobody has kids to take care of them. Well, listen to this. A recent survey found that 15% of Americans had bought a home with someone other than a romantic partner. Of those, 25% said they couldn't have afforded it otherwise. Mm -hmm. And of the Generation Z respondents, 70% said that they'd consider doing this. I saw a story on one of the news shows where it was kind of taking that village thing to a next level. And I think it was too... Maybe single moms with a couple kids, and they were able to split the duties of taking kids here and there, and they were able to share, you know, who's making supper tonight, and it made things a little bit easier. Here's what the study found out. The trend is not to to reflect some sort of communal living like what they did in the 60s and 70s. Uh, it was mostly out of a necessity amid soaring housing costs. Mm-hmm. Sharing costs was 67% of the reason. Affording a nicer home Mm -hmm. going in with another person. Investment opportunities. There's Connor. Uh, This one talked to co-homeowners. That's what they called them. And they were two young guys, and they bought a house together. And when they sold it, they used the profits to each go out and buy their own home now. So you kind of pool your money together. Because neither one of, let's just say me and Connor are single dudes. Mm -hmm. Neither one of us have enough money for a down payment or to get into the house on our own. So we get in together with the idea that three, four, or five years from now, we'll sell it and move into our own houses. Now, it gets real messy, as you could imagine. Well, you have to have contracts drawn up. You You have to have contracts. You have to have an in-game. Right. You have to have an in-game. The rules of the house. I mean... I lived with a guy. He bought the house, and I lived in his house and paid him rent and everything. But I knew it was his house. And so, you know, the rules were flexible. But, you know, at the end of the the day, at the end of the day, his, you know, my way of the highway. Right. That's what? That's if you don't like it, go find another place to live. I know what that means. What were his rules? I don't even know if there's like rules drawn up and hung up on the fridge, but like oh. the layout of the living room was his layout. And you didn't like it? No, I hated it. The TV was way too far away from the couch. Did you ever say? Oh, yeah, all and the time. And he said no. And he said, you know, my way or the highway. Oh, he did say it. Hit the bricks. <laughs> you wanted to like redecorate. Yeah, well, yes. If I like wanted to repaint re- that, he said, go into room. your own room and redecorate. Well, hey, at least you got that. At least I got that right. Um, there was a married couple who moved in with another married couple. Both had children, and they said 
that it allowed them to buy a larger house in a better neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But better school district. Better school district, all that stuff. So it's you're just like buying a duplex at that point. Yep. Aren't you running into like dual family homes? Like aren't places zoned for single family only? Uh, like an unofficial like duplex. if the city caught you doing this, would, yeah, I guess you would you be say okay? I think it depends You're very forward thinking family. Yeah. We're all yeah, we're family. all we're a all modern family. This together. Yeah, modern family. You know, and I've I've been in houses where you know, oh man, you could put two families in here. Mm-hmm. But again, most houses, single family homes, at least have one master bedroom. Who gets it? If you both pay for the house, who gets the master bedroom? Whoever paid more. Well, that's the that's how renting works, right? Like whoever get pays more gets the biggest bedroom. You'd have to establish that, but yeah. if you're splitting it fifty fifty with another couple or a with coin. a, a but yeah, Rock, right. paper, or scissors. you make yeah, right. two master bedrooms. <laughs> they, I mean, if you have a little extra, I mean, I I do have a couple of friends that have two master bedrooms. Oh, they do in their mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. Did they have to make it? They built the house, and it is wow. like that. It's kind of like an extra. It's the so it's just like two big bedrooms. Yeah, but with, with bathrooms, with bathrooms and all closet. of them both have decks off the, you know, bedroom. Maybe I am cynical and jaded. I would say you're definitely cynical and jaded. Maybe, maybe I am. But when I first read this, I said this is loaded with problems. Mm, I disagree. Broken friendships. Well, you're Divorces. Not, I think you need to be careful about who you're uh, yes, doing. Yes, I think right. this, there's a lot think, of thought. I don't think it's the buddy you see once a month. Uh-uh. You know, I think it's. Hey, do you want to buy a house with me? Yeah, I think or it's the gotta, buddy that has a hot wife that you like. Oh. <laughs> I wasn't going there, but. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, so would you buy a, ha- a house with a friend? Mm-hmm. That's the question. Question of the day. Yeah. And was, I would definitely do it later in life if the little bit older and maybe you're not going to date again and it's you know two of us in the same situation i would definitely buy a house with someone all right here's the two questions would you keep your job if you want a billion dollars and would you buy a house with a friend yeah hmm. eight four one two six a lot of people saying uh no they would definitely not work if I want a million or a billion, I would quit work, travel extensively, maybe open my own nonprofit. I don't know if you could do that on a million. A million dollars ain't what it used to be. Well, this is true. A lot of houses have a whole nother house in the walkout basement. I agree. A lot of uh, houses in Lafayette Square have a carriage house, so you could have do both of those things, and it's still one property. Who's going to nominate themselves to live in the carriage house? Well, have you seen the carriage houses? I would. Yeah, they're real nice. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Mm. Okay. I I would pay less, though. You think? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I get the smaller house. Yeah. Somebody said, my wife and I now share our home with her ex. He couldn't afford to keep an apartment with child support so high. Isn't that the setup to a sitcom that's on the air right now? (laughs) What is that? That With John Cryer. With John Cryer. Uh (laughs) Alan from from Two and a Half Men. Yeah. What do you got, Connor? Uh, all right, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's leap day today, uh, so I found some leap day stuff. Uh, there is a tradition in England and Ireland and Scotland of today being something called Bachelor's Day, which means uh, throughout history for the past several hundred years, it's been tradition for today to be the day that a woman would propose to a man. 
to be really? married. Really? I always thought that was like the Sadie Hawkins dance. Yeah, I think that maybe is what it uh, evolved from. Uh, okay. Maybe they lowered the stakes a little and just had it be a dance <laughs> and not Smart. to get married. And apparently, if you turned them, if you turned down the lady, you would have to like pay up. There were some laws on the books that would make you pay restitution oh. for saying no. So yikes! Gotta watch out if that's still. I don't know if that's still no a thing. means no. I don't know if that's still a thing. Third question on the text line has a. Uh, did your wife propose to you? Yeah. Or do uh, you know of any women that have proposed to men? To go against that, it's unlucky in Greece to get married on a leap year. So there's far less marriages in Greece. Uh, mm. It's unlucky in general in Italy and uh, I guess, Taiwan. I guess every once in a while it would fall on a Saturday, which is the traditional day to get married. Is that is that really is that what it is? Saturday? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, yes. <laughs> Just make up stuff. I found a, a leap day cocktail uh, from the famed bartender Harry Credick. I guess he was the famous bartender at the turn of the 20th at the century. Uh, yes. And it's two ounces gin, a half ounce Grand Marnier, half ounce sweet vermouth, and a dash of lemon juice shaken you, with ice. You write that down, Heidi? So, Heidi, uh, that's tonight for you, tonight's I guess. Drink. That's the drink. Gin and Grand Marnier. And vermouth. And some, sweet vermouth. And some lemon. Yes, yeah, sweet that's vermouth. Sweet. I can't sweet vermouth. imagine what that tastes like. G- it's, it'd be like a, a gin uh, uh, margarita. Maybe mm. we can ask Mike Ward if he's ever heard of it. Yeah. And you didn't ask uh, the Weep Day guest uh, the other day, but did you know that we skip a Weep Day every hundred years unless the year is divisible by four? Oh, boy. And then we right. don't skip it. So we didn't skip it in the year 2000. There was a leap year, but there will not be a leap year in the year 2100, which doesn't really concern any of us. But Well, maybe not you. Oh, you're <laughs> planning on being Probably 120. But Whoa. we skip leap years every 100 years okay. for the most part. Interesting. So there you go. Some leap okay. day. Uh, you know, there are all sorts of heroes and not all, as they say, wear We're capes. capes. Uh, the two I'm talking about were actually in their garbage collecting uniforms by trade. That's what they do. They haul trash while working in Tipton, England, they saw fires ripping through a small brick townhome and rescued a man, a woman, and their dog. Steve Whitehouse said he saw a young woman screaming from a balcony, and all he could think was, I needed to get her as quickly as possible. So he climbed up to the first floor balcony three times to rescue, rescue the trio from the fire. He first carried the woman down. But when he turned back to help the young man, he found he was shouting to his dog, which was still inside. So, bundling the dog in a blanket, Steve climbed down, told the owner to throw the dog to him after catching him. He then returned up to the balcony to get the man. Meanwhile, Steve's partner, Kevin, went door to door shouting for people to clear the connected townhomes. Both the men and the dog were uh, both the man and the dog were suffering from smoke inhalation when 19 firefighters arrived the dog was treated on site the man was rushed to the hospital the senior firefighter said i have no doubt that what steve's incredible bravery uh did was prevent an awful outcome i have no idea how he managed to do what he did it was heroic the fire and smoke were coming out of the property's rear door like a blowtorch. Now, according to the BBC, the two garbage men debriefed, recovered over a cup of coffee, and 
went right back to finishing their collection rounds. Oh. Hmm. Somebody said, yes, Heidi, Sadie's Hawkins Day is February 29th. I had no idea that there was a correlation. So thanks, Connor. So there you go. I'm looking up Sadie Hawkins Day, and it was started for uh, in the Lil Abner comic strip in 1937. Well, what day is it if it's not a leap year? Do they just do it on the 28th, or do they only do one every four years? I went to Hazelwood Central, and we had Turnabout, which is the same thing as the Sadie Hawkins dance. Turnabout. I don't know why we called it Turnabout. Okay. But, uh, yeah, we didn't call it Sadie Hawkins either. Sadie Hawkins dance or Turnabout is an informal dance sponsored by a high school where the girls ask the boys. And it was always right around this time of year was turnabout so maybe it tries to fall in line as close as it can to february 29th fourth question did you have turnabout or a sadie hawkins dance way too many questions for me much less i got a question for you heidi Mm -hmm. do you remember do you remember darren woodford's favorite candy bar and it no longer exists if that helps you Mm. No, Mars Bars is coming to mind, but I don't. That's well, not interesting because it. it was made by Mars Candy. Yeah. Did he bring it in that day? He brought in the old candy, or was it still not? No, it, it, you can't find it anywhere. No, doesn't exist. Darren came in and told us early on in our relationship with him that his favorite candy bar as a kid growing up was the Marathon Bar. You remember this? Mm-hmm, I do. And then we spent a lot of time looking it up. There's a, a commercial online. You can see John Wayne's son is in the commercials for Marathon Bars. And Does he look like John Wayne? I, I got to look up the commercial because he plays a cowboy and he fights. You know, the whole premise of the Marathon Bar was it was long. Uh-huh. And it was braided. It was, it oh, was yeah. caramel covered in chocolate and it was braided. Fast forward to Monday night. Adam Sandler is at the premiere of his new movie, Spaceman. And somebody asked him, what would you take with you, junk food-wise, if you went to space? Hmm. Adam Sandler, oh, that's good. I guess right now, a marathon bar. You ever have one of those? They don't make them anymore. Maybe they make only a few. When somebody asked him if he had a secret factory... Making marathon bars, he says, that's funny. No, I don't. Or maybe I do. And then he said, I'm Adam Sandler for crying out loud. I can get a marathon bar. (laughs) So the question is, is Adam Sandler secretly getting marathon bars made for him to feed his addiction? Marathon bars were discontinued in 1981 after an eight-year run. Here's the interesting caveat. Cadbury over in England makes something called the Curly Whirly Bar, which is the exact same thing. Caramel covered in chocolate in a braided fashion. Does it look exactly the same? Looks the exact same. Okay. So my question is, is Adam Sandler just saying a candy bar from his childhood that he would want? Is he telling us that he still eats these? And if so, where is he getting them? Or is he eating Curly Whirly Bars and he just doesn't realize they're not marathon bars? I'm thinking right now you've given this much thought to Adam Sandler and his 
candy bars. If Darren was here, he'd want to know the answer, too, because it was his favorite candy. So, wait, m- Marathon <laughs> Bars are Snickers. They just rebranded them no. to Snickers. No. That's what this says. No, 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 no. I think it's just caramel. There's no nougat. There's no nuts, for sure, which is in a Snickers bar. So I think it's just chocolate-covered caramel. Do you guys remember the Marathon Bar? And here's my question. What candy would you want that's been discontinued or junk food that's been discontinued? If you can go back, you can bring some back with you. There was some fruit chews, kind of like Starburst, but they were called Bonkers. Mm-hmm. And they were my favorite. They're not made anymore? No. You're positive. 100%. I've gone online. I've done the research. Leaf Brands, which used to make baseball cards, mm-hmm. was trying to bring them back, but they never came to market with them. They were like sending out samples to say, hey, does this taste like your childhood? And they were trying to come up with one, but I I think they shelved it absolutely uh, towards the end of it, and there's no bonkers anymore. Hmm. So uh, I know that the Keebler Elves used to make pizzerias. They were pizza-flavored chips, which I, I think would be fun to try again after all these years. But what candy bar doesn't exist anymore that you would pay good money if they brought it back? Hmm. You got nothing? No, I, I don't eat Candy Junk? bars. Mm. No, I. it's just not my, that would not be my go-to. Give me a bowl of pasta. Give me a pizza. But I am not just a. Connor, any, any junk food from recent memory? PB Crisps? Like candy bar-wise? Candy bars, I, you know, chips. I'm trying to think, and I'm sure if I had the list in front of me, I could think of something. Remember Fruitopia? Remember that? No. It was like a, a fruit drink. That doesn't exist. Orbits? The, I used to eat almond joys in. Those are still made. You yeah, those, those still are. Exist. Yeah, I'm you saying, but I, there's nothing that. Remember that there was like a a fizzy drink that had little candy balls floating in it. Do you remember Orbits? No. No. <laughs> no. Maybe I was. Right, I, I got too one for into you. Junk I'm remembering fruit. this. Altoid had a flavor called mango sour Altoids. Yeah. They were delicious. Uh-huh. Incredible. The best. Hard candy ever. Whoa. They don't make them anymore. They don't do it anymore. They don't make them anymore. Do they still make a whatchamacallit? Somebody is asking on the text line. That's what they're saying. Yeah, they do, I, actually. I did like a whatchamacallit every we once We looked that up. Uh, it still exists. Uh, Tostitos, the chip people, they used to make this queso bean dip that was so good. Came with a pink jar lid. They don't make it anymore. I've tweeted at them countless times Man. asking them to bring it back. I feel like we could do something more with your time. I think you need to eat more junk food. <laughs> I think my body needs to look like I don't eat junk food. It's 532. Captain Let's, Paul, Yeah. has there ever been something that they discontinued and you're like, man, I give anything to get that back? Uh, Yeah, there was. It's a beer, by the way. It was a Bud uh, B to the E. It was um, yeah. It was it. Had, it was like an energy drink, energy beer. Yeah, yeah. and I was I was mad. <laughs> I gotta look that up. Now we're talking. I think it was called Bud Extra. I'm yeah, not sure. oh. B to the E. Yeah, B to the E. I right. remember that. We were given. We didn't order it. A tiramisu. That 
So candy, no, no, that I do. That's one of my favorite desserts. That's I, that and like a flourless chocolate cake. I, I'm kind of get weak on those. Yeah, is flour real dense? Yeah, it's almost like fudge, but yeah, it's, it's not. Like fudgy. Yeah, yeah, but I, I love both of those. Oh, a hundred thousand, hundred thousand bar. Those grand. Those used to be. They're still around. Well, people are just weighing in. <laughs> I tell you what, Jeff Zufall, when you go to Capital Advisory Group to do your taxes. I already dropped it off in that big bowl of candy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's got paydays yep. and 100 grand bars. What's King Vitamin Cereal? Zebra Stripe Gum? I do remember that one. They just discontinued that. Uh, do they still make Pop Rocks? Yes. I think they do. Yeah. You know, when you're checking out at Deerberg's, you can see all kinds of great candy bars. But what I love about Deerberg's, especially during Lent, is if you're not confident in cooking seafood, whether that be, you know, salmon or mussels or cod. I don't know if you know this or not, but Deerberg's will bake or steam your seafood free, free while you shop. You just pick your favorite fish, choose from over a dozen seasonings, and then bada boom, bada bang, dinner is done by the time you check out. And then you just grab one of the pre-made side dishes, all of them delicious in my opinion. I mean, really, talk about making Fridays easy. Now, you can also go to the counter because they have fried catfish, cod, they have smoked salmon, shrimp already done right there, over 10 varieties in the uh, hot case, which is always great. And, of course, if you are, you know, not partaking in Lent, you've got fried chicken and so many other great things. And, again, the side dishes. We'll talk to Mike Ward about a couple of great wines that you'll find there. But, really, Deerberg's your one-stop shop. You can find it all. So make dinner easy. Make lunch easy and swing by a Deerberg's. Let's talk a little entertainment news. During a show in Buffalo last night, Drake paid tribute to the mom and daughter who died, leaving his St. Louis show earlier this month, which still just a tragic story. And hopefully we are working on fixing the crazy driving situation in our... It's, it, it's not just in the city. It's everywhere. The other day we were sitting at a stoplight coming home from the Fox and somebody just ran right i mean there's probably four cars lined up and then somebody just went around all of us right through a red light oh my gosh so but i've seen it done in the county as well so it's just crazy the ceo of amc theater says taylor swift and beyonce's concert films are behind literally all of the revenue for the end of 2023 so thanks ladies begging them to have another Mm -hmm. one speaking of taylor adam sandler says he gets jumpy around her because he doesn't want to blow it for his kids. What does that mean? I I guess he doesn't want to embarrass his children. He wants to make sure that, you know, Taylor will come back around and say hello. You think when when Adam Sandler's around Taylor Swift, he goes, Taylor Swift. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good Adam Sandler, okay? At the very end. <laughs> John Batiste, Becky G, Billy Eilish, Phineas, uh, Scott George, and the Osage Singers will all join Ryan Gosling singing their nominated original songs at the Oscars. Robin Wright, formerly Robin Wright Penn, Penn. 
recalls how Andre the Giant palmed her head like a basketball to warm her up on oh, the Princess, Princess Bride. Bride set. The late wrestler died in 1993, but she says was such a gentle giant. I just saw a picture of him as a young man, still huge as can be, standing next to another French wrestler. Look up younger pictures of him. How big was he? I don't remember. Oh, my gosh. Eight feet, maybe? His hands. Yeah, his hands. In 2007, the New England Patriots, of course, blew a chance for a perfect 19-0 season when they lost the Super Bowl to the New York Giants. Oh, my deepest sympathies. Yeah. And apparently, it still hurts. Tom Brady relives all the pain in the Apple TV Plus docuseries, The Dynasty, New England Patriots. On the latest episode, he says, we were crushed. I was crushed. My teammates were crushed. Coaches were crushed. That was our history-making game that would have been everything. And I remember getting on the bus at Arizona. There wasn't a sound. It was pitch dark. We were all devastated. There was no sleep. Jonathan Kraft, son of Patriots owner Robert Kraft, says, I'm watching guys throw up and cry on the floor. I've never seen that. Tom, by the way, says he's still haunted by that helmet catch, which don't we all remember that? Made by Giants receiver David Tyree and that preserved the winning drive. He said, I was like, blank, man. How the blank did you do that? It's a million to one. It is a a catch that we all remember, isn't it? And all the talk was about the Steelers, uh, the legacy that they, I think Tom Brady would have passed. the Steelers, as far as how many Super Bowls won, it was about the Dolphins yeah. that season. But again, my heart goes out to Tom. Oh, yeah. I feel so bad for the man. Mm-hmm. Ranker.com, people are voting on the funniest TV shows of all time. They include both sitcoms, cartoons, and sketch series. I'm just going to go through the top five on this list. South Park, number five. It's pretty good. Yeah. Looney Tunes. Uh, I mean. Does it hold up? I don't think so, but. Some old school voters in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which I've never seen. It's good. It is? It's funny. It's funny it's show. always sunny in Philadelphia. Another show. funny show. And number one, The Office, which I do like. All right, who ranked this list? This is like Ranker.com. It's like, the, it's like uh, they are a lot of voters. Yeah. I'd like to see what 6 through 10 was. The Simpsons, mm-hmm. uh, okay. Whose Line Is It Anyway, Parks and Rec, Modern Family, Married with Children, Family Guy. Okay. Simpsons should probably be one. What number should one? Should probably be number one. <laughs> Just think? the first 10 or 11 seasons. Though. Oh, only that. Yeah. Uh, Friends in Low Places is Garth Brooks, of course, signature song. He's opening a bar in Nashville, but... It almost wasn't his song. Garth actually recorded a demo for the song that George Strait was supposed to do. Garth said, quote, the reason they asked me to do the demo was because I wanted to be George Strait for years, so I do a pretty good impression of him. Apparently, George didn't want it, so Garth recorded it for his 90 album, No Fences, and, well, the rest is history. Can you imagine that not being a Garth Brooks song? Was that on his first album? I think so. I gotta look at. Was that the first? No fences. No fences. His first album. I think. Man, boy, that put him on the map. Mm -hmm. Kept him there. Yeah. Does he end every show with that? Uh, I've only seen him once in concert. Did he end the show with that? I don't think he ended with that. 
No Fences is the second studio okay. album. The first album was Garth Brooks. Oh, yeah, Garth Brooks. Where it's here, this is the album cover. You remember uh, that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Not, not one of the mm-hmm. big hit albums. But well, it had to ha- what was on that album? Uh, much Too Young to Feel This Damn Yeah, old. that's a big song. If Tomorrow yeah, Never Comes. That's a huge one. Yeah. That's, that is a big hit. Oh, and The Dance was on there. Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, that's a pretty big album. Pretty big album. <laughs> All three songs really popular, and you only listed three. Jelly Roll is being very transparent about the ticket prices for his new tour. He posted a long note on Facebook breaking it all down, saying, I want to take a moment to give you all the facts as I know them to be. First, he listed the exact times for the pre-sale. Then he said, if you've already purchased tickets to StubHub or other third-party vendors, you bought tickets that aren't even released yet and paid way more than what you could have gotten at the pre-sale. Adding ticket prices start at $39.50. I want to keep prices affordable. I know what you went through to buy the tickets, a babysitter, pay for parking, merch. It all adds up, and it's not always easy. I will always keep tickets affordable for fans. He Closed his post with, I want y'all to know I'm not charging $3,500 per ticket for floor seats. It's the scalpers and the third-party resellers. The only way to truly stop this is to not buy tickets from those websites. Then you're not going to the show. Eventually, though, and I will say. Ticketmaster does third-party now. If Where am I supposed to buy tickets? Until the very last minute when those $3,500 tickets won't sell, then you can, and but you, you're taking a chance. You run the risk of not going to the you show. You do, but that's, you got to decide if it's worth it or not. Yeah. Well, here, if you, if you want to protest high grocery prices, then just don't pay them. Well, what he's saying is. And, Good luck eating. Well, that's not the same. You don't have to go to a concert. You kind of well, need to eat. Right. Normal people aren't paying thirty five hundred bucks for floor seats. I, th- I would say, yeah, if you just hold out as far as that I goes. In the future, if things keep going this way, concerts are going to be attended by millionaires. Well, they don't want to go. Well, they're the only ones who can afford it. But really, when you talk to people, don't you have friends that wait for the last minute? Aren't You're there the a only lot of one I know that that's did ever that done successfully that for your Elton John. I've done it a couple of times, hmm. which is, all right. Uh, Have you ever missed a show by waiting? No, but if 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 I'm going to do it, it's somebody that I don't absolutely have, have to, to go, go to. Okay. It's one of those that I'm just, you know, I'd love to go see them if it was cheaper. Yep. So um, that's your evening entertainment report here on the Big 550 KTRS. From Captain Paul to Capital Advisory. I just dropped group. off my taxes. And like I said, Jeff Sufal's got the basket there of payday bars and mm-hmm. hundred grand bars. On the text line, by the way, someone said Wonka had Oompa Loompas. They were M&Ms with half chocolate and half peanut butter inside. What about, wasn't there a, a Wonka Crunch Bar too? I think there were a couple of different things. By the way, somebody else is pointing out about the um, concerts. You can't wait if you have to get... A babysitter, which I agree with that. I'm lucky I don't have kids. Well, you know what? If you don't go to the show, then just go out to eat with your... True. Have a date night. With your spouse and have a date night for free. And then don't come home until 1130. Because <laughs> you already paid for the babysitter. Uh, back to Jeff Sufall. This is his time of year to shine. And that's where that's where you get your, your bang for your buck is that 
Jeff does your taxes for you, but he also sits down and says, hey, let's look at what you did last year and let's look how we could do even better mm-hmm. next year. Where can we save you money? A lot of the stuff from last year, not a lot you can do about that. But it's March now, but tomorrow, I guess, is March. We can put things into play that for the next 10 months we can get tax savings or, as I like to say, keepings. Keep what's yours. Get it? So have somebody look at your taxes. Have it be Jeff Zufall, Capital Advisory Group, CapitalAdvisoryGRP.com, 636-394-5524, and keep more of what's yours. All right, let's wrap this Thursday up with a random or two. How about this? There are two governors of California with stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's one. Who's Ronald the other? Reagan. Uh, correct. Okay, well, that's not <laughs> hard, is it? I don't know. No governor from any other state has a star, Okay, obviously. And then two former U.S. presidents have stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Can you name them? Ronald Reagan. And... Does Trump have one? Yes, he uh, does. Yeah. Yes, he does. Mm-hmm. So uh, there you have it. All right. That does it for us on this last day of February, but we'll do it all over again starting at 3 o'clock tomorrow, and I hope you'll be right here with us. Until then, see if you can put a smile on somebody's face.